0: Welcome to Interdisciplinary. I'm Cal Cates. And I am Kathy Ryan. And this is Wells podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science. We love meaningful dissent. And we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. Today, you're stuck with me and Kathy. We're just going to be talking about the things. We're guestless, um, which is not the same as shiftless. Uh, we hope you'll agree Uh, we are still running our, uh, contest to leave us a review. If we read it on the show, you can cash in big time with a convo with me and Kathy with a convo with Rebecca Sturgeon and Janet Penny, authors of the fanciest ever integrative oncology massage book. And, uh, or you could get a mug or a t-shirt, you know, maybe you're not a people person. That's all right. Uh, But here we are. Just to clarify, that's a convo, not a condo. We're not correct. It's not a condo. Yeah, we're we're still not. Our Patreon dollars are not coming in at quite that level yet. So, (laughs) thanks for the clarification on that. Uh, Make sure that you go and like us and share us and do all the things to tell the people that you love and respect that they should be listening to all the things that are happening here. And uh, before we dive in, um, here we are with. um, a little pun. I'm just gonna fold it right in because uh, I'm pretty excited that uh, we might go snorkeling this weekend. But uh, I'm not gonna hold my breath. <laughs> Please don't. Well, that's <laughs> what that's exactly yeah. what snorkeling
1: is for. So you don't have to hold your breath.
0: That's yeah. I, that's what they say. Although snorkeling always freaked me out. Even like I was just always convinced there'd be like a swell or something that would come down into my snorkel and then yeah. But you know that's just me. I guess I, it's my it's a weird combination of like my. My claustrophobia, my, I don't know, all the little phobias sort of coming together in one place. But um, you can see cool things when you put your face under the water. So, you know, yeah, you got to risk it. it.
1: Yeah. And I, I have to stay right at the top with my face in the water and
0: I can still see things. And that's true. That's true. You no, don't even perfect. have to really submerge. Exactly. <laughs> but and, and the scuba diving is not a thing that's going to happen for me. I'm okay to, that is it was never fair. on my bucket list and it's not going to yeah. get on there. Yeah. Same here. Excellent. (laughs) Uh, So today we're going to just, you know, talk about the world and what's happening in it and, um, you know, uh, share some perspective and uh, do a little Canada-USA comparison about the state of things. And uh, it's hard to even know where to start. Say that again? Abysmal. Abysmal. Yes, indeed. Well, and I, I think it's another, I am sad to say it's another place where... I think Americans tend to assume that Canada has it all figured out. Just like we assume that you guys have like the best massage training ever. And you know, that it's just, it is as we joke, Shangri-La up there. But um, when it comes to COVID, you have humans also, and they're behaving in the same way that humans in the U S are behaving, which is not amazing.
1: So, so true. I mean, you know, we do have a good massage therapy education and training program. It is good. It's a very good solid foundation, but as I've said many times on on our podcast, um, it's a good solid foundation from which to build. It's not the be all and all, you know. There still is that um, important component of continued evolution over time. Yes, and that's that's where I think that's one of the things in the profession that I think that is challenging for us in a number of ways. So because because our beginnings are different than say physiotherapists or nurses, so we're not in the university type of setting. And because oftentimes uh, our work environment is very different other than, than folks like Healwell, very few of us work in an institutional type of setting. And even though you're in an institutional type of setting, you may not have access to the same kind of educational opportunities provided by the employer that say maybe the nurses do that are working in hospital. So because we don't have that, I think that's one of those areas in our profession that we need to maybe spend some time thinking about how can we better support massage therapists over their uh, career lifespan um, in their, you know, improvement or evolution over time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, it feels like a place where, you know, one of the things that I want to explore a little bit today is, is misinformation and how it is playing into, um, our present world, but also how misinformation is not new. Um, it's certainly particularly problematic in the face of a pandemic. Uh, but I feel like massage therapy education certainly is a place that is uh, rife with misinformation. I mean, we are taught incorrect information. I know at least in America, that is not uncommon. Um, I don't know if that's true in Canada.
1: I th- you know, I think, I think it is. I think there's a certain amount of that and I don't think it's exclusive to massage therapy either. Uh, probably if we know do every healthcare profession, will keep it tied to healthcare, but probably all, a lot of other professions too. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of that, that is, that is true. You know, I, I saw things that were being taught, you know, 30 plus years ago when I went to massage therapy school that just came along historically that really didn't have a lot of, let's say validity, but someone somewhere, one of some instructor glommed onto it and then passed it on to their students who passed it on to their students who passed it on to their students. Yeah. And pass it on to their students because it was a historical
0: piece of information. Yeah. And it's the worst worst game of telephone in the end because yeah, it's, yeah. you know, the exactly. person who told it, you- the person who told it to you is someone that you trust and admire. And so you don't, you're not interested in original sources. That person is your original source. Yes. Yeah. I was really interested to see as I was looking at sort of like, is there a disparity in vaccination rates among healthcare providers versus the general public and that, in fact, uh, there really isn't, that the the lack of people who are vaccinated in healthcare mirrors the broader public and that, you know, it, it it's a great reminder, of course, that healthcare providers are people too and are subject to the same sorts of, you know, tricks of the mind and, and cultural pressures and things. But one of the things that this article highlighted was that nurses are really at a deficit in a situation like this pandemic because they don't actually get the same training about Sort of about viruses and um, infection transmission that physicians get, but when you look at how nurses and physicians interact, particularly in an inpatient setting, patients have a much larger opportunity to interact and converse with their nurses than they do with their physicians. And the article talked about it was a it was um, published in partnership with the American Nursing Association, and it talked about how nurses were really scrambling and kind of are still scrambling because they. Not only do they not have the basic knowledge of epidemiology, but there's also not been historically a real focus on how to read research and how to spot crappy research and how to you know look for the holes in the data that is being provided. So they're kind of just as susceptible as the rest of us to being like, well, I read it here or there and you know, it sounded credible. Um, and then you know, if your nurse tells you something, you believe it, right? And I think the same is true when we're talking about Massage therapists that you know when our clients ask us about things and we tell them and we seem authoritative, they're like, "Ah, oh, I've just received facts." Yeah, oh. and off you go. <laughs>
1: well, well, yeah, I, you know, and it'd be interesting to know like uh, a time value uh, per patient, you know. How, how much time a nurse spends with a patient over a course of a day versus how much time a physician spends with a patient over a course of a day, you know, and that's yeah. been, and again, we've touched on this before in the podcast as massage therapists, we spend a concentrated amount of time with the people who come into yeah. our practice, probably far more time, on a regular basis, then they might see their physician. So for example, if someone's, let's say relatively healthy, who's maybe got a low back issue going on, but otherwise quite healthy, they may yeah. see their physician once a year for like a yearly checkup or something like that. Right. But they, they might be seeing us on a monthly basis, you know, for an hour. So our, our position to be able to listen and gather information about that patient that might give insight into what's happening for them health wise. Yeah. Um, You know, I've always said, I think we are very underutilized, you know, and part of our our name of our podcast, interdisciplinary. Um, I think there's a great opportunity there for more information to be provided about that patient. If there was better collaboration and, communication happening amongst the disciplines.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I was I was disheartened to see, though I can't say I was surprised, that um, I happened upon this article uh, as I was looking at uh, disinformation and misinformation, that um, a majority of the mis and disinformation on the internet and social media, at least in America, is created by, which I guess, I mean, the internet is not if it's posted by American people, it's still seen by people all over the world. So, but that there's a group called that they call the the disinformation doesn't. And it is not, they're not united, but they are a group of people who, many of whom are physicians or wellness people. And they talk about how, you know, certainly these people are are out there to say, like, vaccines are bad, doctors aren't telling you the truth, like, you know, if you take your honey and lemon and ginger, you'll be fine, um, and and just have really kind of bought into the story that Everything can be healed by what's available on the earth and that, you know, we have to stop sort of supporting the industrial medical machine, which is another conversation. And certainly there's some validity to the momentum of that and capitalism and medicine don't really belong together. Um, But it's distressing to consider that this article said that upwards of 70% of the mis and disinformation that's available on social media and the internet is created by these 12 people. And that I think as this is a place where as massage therapists, we have a unique opportunity to be evidence-based and to be incredibly disciplined about the information we do and don't share with the people that we serve. And, you know, when it comes to vaccinations, when it comes to ways we can prevent disease transmission, that we really have to know what's actually out there and what what is knowable. And also to be able to refer people to more knowledgeable folks when it's about something that we don't, that's not really in our scope.
1: Exactly. And, and for me, clinging to my, my scope very tightly is extremely important for a number of reasons. Um, and, and I'm mindful of that all the time in the podcast as well in my practice that I stick to what essentially I could be considered an expert in. And that is my scope of practice and what I've been doing for a living for the past 32 years Um, but I think it's also somewhat of our professional responsibility to be able to perhaps flesh out places where people can go for information that is good information rather than stuff that is questionable to the best of our ability. You know, we can all be duped duped. (laughs) and we have in a number of ways. Um, But, you know, I think it's important, you know, to be able to say, look, the that is not my area of expertise, but this is where you could potentially go to find that information. Or if, you know, if I have an email, I'll send people a link here. Here's where I go for this information. This may be helpful for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, one of the other um, things that I keep coming across written by people who are on the front lines, quote unquote, um, talking about how, you know the the place we are now in terms of vaccination. That and actually Canada is a bit ahead, um, not surprisingly, of the U.S. With seventy one, almost seventy two percent of your whole population fully vaccinated. Um, the U.S. is only at fifty six percent right now. Um, hopefully, climbing. But um, that the people who have not been vaccinated have a pretty wide array of. Rationales for not being vaccinated, and that as people who have been vaccinated and who believe in it, which again, I mean, even that language is such a, a fascinating way to talk about, like you know, that the the data shows that it is effective, and so I trust the science that says that this works. But there are a lot of people who aren't getting vaccinated who. Aren't maybe anti-science? Who you know, I'm seeing more and more about like, oh, I'll get it. I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, in this article from the Nursing Association, many nurses feel like because they've already had it, they've already had COVID, that they don't need to get the shot because they have this immunity. And you know, the studies show that there is an immunity marker after you've had a COVID infection, but it's still not clear if it's actually results in direct protection. Um, and so even among healthcare providers, there's some misinformation there, but that it's really hard as a person who is working with people who have been treating people with COVID for 18 months or who, you know, have personally lost people. And, you know, you think about in the States, hundred, more than 140,000 kids have lost a parent to COVID. And I get really angry and so when people say that they don't want to get vaccinated, um, it's almost worse when they say, "Oh I haven't gotten around to it you know and I, and I have to really be aware of my own impatience and anger about the incredible cost of people not being vaccinated when I'm in a situation where I have an opportunity to maybe share information that could shift that person's perspective and to really come from a place of compassion and an openness to their concern, even if my story about their concern is that it's a stupid concern, right? That <laughs> the facts are out there and I don't know that putting more facts in front of people is actually how we shift this tide. And that feels really difficult.
1: Oh, you know, this there's so much complexity to this whole thing. You know, part of what is un- com- complex is this is... Although a COVID virus is not anything new per se, it is a new strain. So it behaves differently than some of the other COVID viruses that have come along. So its capacity to infect at a high rate is different, the presentation, the different symptoms that people are getting, different than some of the COVID family viruses we've seen in the past. So there's a lot of complexity to this. So I, it's it's got to be incredibly challenging for for researchers to figure out or you know public health officials how to figure out the best way to to manage this or move forward with this really complex stuff and and a lot ethically too I mean for myself I had to think about okay people are choosing not to vaccinate should they be forced to do so and ethically that's a challenge for me that creates a very ethical dilemma yeah because as a massage therapist um, and someone who is pro-choice, you know, as a massage therapist, consent is like one of our pillars, our foundations of how we, you know, provide professional care, health care yeah. for people. So if I, I believe that consent is absolute, then, of course, ethically, that means that someone has the right to say what is or what isn't done with their body to their right. body, around their body, at their body, whatever the case may be. Right. So, so it becomes a real ethical dilemma in, in that way, and, you know, it becomes challenging. Um, however, these are extraordinary circumstances. We're seeing people die at an alarming rate, and not only people dying, but people having long-term consequences that is going to impact their life significantly the people around them significantly and the and the impact on the healthcare system in general so huge Absolutely. impact impact there so if you're going to choose not to vaccinate for whatever your reasons are then you i think as a human being with some sense of responsibility to other human beings and community You've got to step it up in terms of mitigating risks in all the way that you possibly can. So you've got to be really committed to wearing your mask, washing often, staying away from gatherings, all those things that we have seen over the past, you know, almost two years that work. Yeah, you know, we know, we know that works. We were doing very well, let's say here in terms of COVID infections in in the north where I live in northern British Columbia in our vast region with low population, we were doing quite well. Yeah, until until this summer, and what yeah. changed this summer was uh, public health officials removed the mask mandate, mm-hmm. and people were allowed to allowed to gather. So in August, um, our community had what's called the fall fair, which is a large event attended by many. And it attracts many of those individuals who were anti-vaxxer, anti-masker types. Um, And and after that fall fair, which was a super spreader event, um, our infection rate within two weeks went astronomical. And yeah. now the northern region has uh, an exceptionally larger infection rate than a large populated area like Vancouver because they allowed these big events to happen and people not wearing masks and the Delta variant was already here.
0: Yeah. I've, I've, it's so interesting. I mean, I'm also seeing, you know, certainly when we first started talking about vaccine hesitancy in America, we had this sort of broad sense of, well, it's, it's black Americans and it's Tuskegee. And like, it's this really simplistic understanding of, Oh, they just don't want this, this, you know, they don't want experimental blah, blah. And, you know, that's really not the big demographic at this point of anti-vaxxers. And we, we were talking, um, we talked with, um, Gail Dine-Chacon about the native American vaccination rate and native American communities still have the highest rate of vaccination in the US. And, you know, looking at that, I mean, certainly a lot of things come into place, including sovereignty, and that they are able to administer the vaccines, you know, in the way that works for their community, with the support from the CDC and the federal government. Um, But that there is a philosophical thing about be a good relative, they call it, and like, think about your your grandmother and your aunts and future generations and and also this idea that we've already lost so much as a community. This is a very easy thing for us to do to ensure that we don't lose more. And it it does come back to whiteness in a lot of ways that we don't have a sense of actually having lost generations and culture and language in a way that, because we haven't, Um, And that I I think that we have a really simplistic understanding of freedom um, and that here we are again with this idea of the binary where there is no binary and that, you know, as you described, our inability to be with nuance is, is possibly the most responsible factor for the continued spread of COVID that we just can't understand that actually information changes and that context has a lot to do with whether or not we're in a situation that is a high spreading situation or not. And one of the articles I was reading just a few days ago, and it, you know, again, talk about we can all be duped. I I think I have become so inured to people sort of not wanting to be vaccinated and sort of just wanting COVID to be over that I've been feeling like masking is the key. And if everybody would just mask, that will take care of it. And Certainly, it can't hurt, but in this article, um, this epidemiologist was saying, vaccination is number one. Number two is actually ventilation. And if you're in an enclosed space, changing all of the air in the room five to six times an hour, physical distancing is actually number three. And then please remember to mask. And we're kind of, I mean, ventilation, people don't even talk about ventilation anymore. Some people, I think, invested immediately and got the kind of systems they needed so that they don't have to talk about ventilation anymore because they're just doing it. But I think that we just, we kind of ran out of steam in taking the necessary measures and, and that our cloth masks as well, um, we shouldn't be wearing those anymore. They were a stopgap. And there's an article or there's a study coming out of Bangladesh that um, has not been peer-reviewed yet, but is still being sort of, people are saying, look for this to come out. They washed a surgical mask 10 times, and it still did a better job of filtering particles than a cloth mask. So, you know, we really do need to do the best thing possible. And as massage providers, There's all these conversations about, should I require my clients to be vaccinated? Should I, you know, and then we go back to your question about the ethics of requiring people to, you know, engage in a healthcare intervention and, and as a massage therapist, ventilation and masking for you and your client, that is how you show that you care about your own health and the health of your clients. It's not a political issue. It's not, you know, it's so regrettable that this whole thing has become so deeply political and sort of philosophical. And it really is not that difficult, but we've made it very difficult. And now it's hard to walk back from that.
1: Oh, my, yeah, absolutely. So much in that talking about indigenous communities that have lost so much culture, language. So certainly, you know, I saw here in Canada, there were, indigenous communities that very quickly closed their community and said don't come here, please stay out yes. you know, we have we have elders who carry our language, we have very few language speakers left, we we need to protect these people in every way possible because yeah. if we don't, we, we've lost yet another piece of what is valuable to us as human beings uh, yeah. we, we saw a similar kind of thing here in Canada in that um, the east coast of Canada, the Maritimes, which is where I'm from originally, um, it, most people in Canada will say that you won't find friendlier Canadians than what you find in the Maritimes. We saw that at different times when, like at 9-11, where planes were landing in Gander, Newfoundland, and right. locals were showing up, taking people home, housing them, feeding them. That is so quintessentially uh the East coast of Canada. It it really is. And sounds biased coming from me. That's where I'm from. But because I'm from there, I see it expressed in so many ways. I've seen my family do things like that. There's just, there is just this more community minded help each other out because of the early beginnings and what, how they had to do that in order to survive when the original, you know, Settlers came over in the 1600s, blah, blah, blah. If you read a bit about the Acadian history. um, So we saw a much lower infection rate in the eastern part of Canada. And certainly certain governmental political decisions factored into that. But there was just much more of a, we need to take care of each other. Whereas yes. in other parts of Canada, we weren't seeing that um, as, yeah. as much. So again, you know, we do see that you know philosophical kind of thing come into play there for sure and you're right we you know healthcare should not be for profit it should not be politicized it should not be religious assized if that's even a word <clears throat> those things should not factor into the care for human beings health but unfortunately they do you know one of the in one of the interesting things I've seen here in our community is um, there have been uh, key community leaders, church leaders of the far, far, far right, um, that have been, and this is by word of mouth, so please take it as such, that have told their parishioners to not get vaccinated for a variety of reasons. Um, And as well, the one in particular who was encouraging their parishioners to take ivermectin, which is uh, an antiparasitic, like it's a veterinary grade antiparasitic, where there's been some light studies done, let's say, about that particular antiparasitic's capacity to uh, impact a virus's ability to replicate. So, not not a lot of hard study done on it. So just you know, more study done in people
0: because it, it's it, not
1: about it it people. Well, it, it, it is. There is a human form of it. There is yeah. a human form of it because it is used for, like, intestinal worms or uh, there is a topical used for treatment of lice. So there, there is that use of it, but they're taking a, a veterinary form or grade of it. So they're encouraging people to do that right. where there's not a lot of science to support, But and then they're saying don't take the vaccine because it hasn't been you know, researched well enough. Right. So, you know, it's, it's been, I find that rather curious,
0: let's say. Yeah. Well, and with (laughs) ivermectin, it's a, it's not intended as a like long-term prophylactic. It's actually an intervention for an acute infection. Mm -hmm. So also (laughs) not really fitting. Well, and I was reading, I try to, um, I try to make sure that I get out of the echo chamber. And so I was reading some uh, Christian articles and websites. And um, as I was looking for, you know, kind of what's out there for this episode and, you know, there's this real debate about, you know, what does it mean to love thy neighbor in the context of COVID and vaccination? And there's even debate within the religious community about, Does getting vaccinated, is this how I show that I love my neighbor? Or is not pushing my neighbor to get vaccinated how I show my neighbor? And there's just so much misinformation. And it it led me to articles from ICU providers talking about how many people they have cared for through death who were dying of COVID, denying that COVID was real. And that the misinformation and disinformation is so pervasive that. People are dying from this disease, denying it at the same time, saying it's pneumonia, saying I'm fine, saying, you know, I just need my inhaler, whatever they can say to sort of not be willing to say that this is what this is. And I feel like that's such a deep, almost like limbic response that somehow this conversation has has triggered our essential, like we feel threatened by its existence, which feels reasonable because it is threatening our existence, but it's mm. almost too much for us to understand. So some people kind of, I think, just boomerang back to like, nope, it's not real. And if I just keep saying it's not real, it won't be real. And yet it's real.
1: It, it's uh, all, all too real. And I think for, for anyone who's had someone close to them that has contracted COVID or someone close to them that has contracted COVID and unfortunately was fatal or became a long hauler, I think one would think that it makes it more real for someone. But but interestingly, it's not always the case because I've heard of stories where someone lost a relative, like a close relative, but still refuses to get vaccinated. So it's incredibly complex and, you know, it does bring us back to, you know, misinformation you know and we do see that within our own profession too i mean i i don't probably have too many times have beaten my drum about you know imprecise language and massage therapy and you know one of my drum beating things is then the breaking down of scar tissue or right you know removing toxins or you know and your recent article on muscle knots you know what what, mm-hmm. what is that um, so I think for us as a profession, you know, perhaps we can learn from this experience about how damaging misinformation can be, and taking a, a you know really hard look at our own profession around certain terms that have floated um, without merit over over many 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 generations of massage
0: therapists, um, yeah. and how we can maybe clean up our own profession. Absolutely, and to understand that. It, there's no misinformation that is harmless you know i think it's really easy to to um as massage therapists and as wellness practitioners in that sort of broad umbrella that you know there are so many people who for a variety of reasons many of which are are economic decide to sell supplements or to do things that are um you know maybe they get some sort of nutrition certificate or something so that they can advise their clients about these things and you know, sure, maybe this curcumin supplement or this whatever detox thing that you're selling isn't sort of directly harming this person, but it is preventing them from seeking the kind of support that might specifically help them. And it is leading them to believe that they are doing the best that they can do for themselves. And there is a lot of um, intentional misleading or just um, a lack of a lack of knowledge about, you know, like, let's say essential oils and that, you know, well, well, it's fine. You know, I, I, I took a class, I read a book and maybe you're not harming people, but this was medicine, you know, a couple thousand years ago, this is how people treated things. And so, and that was before we started meddling with viruses and bacteria. So it's a weird double-sided thing because people say, well, if this was medicine 2000 years ago, why isn't it medicine now? Well, because we've created lots of other things that have made bacteria and viruses much stronger than what already existed on the planet. So there are actually things that exist like COVID that can't be cured or that we can't protect ourselves from through simple means of things that came directly from the earth. And I hate to believe that, but- that is what's true. And we are harming people when we say, you know, you could cure your cancer with, you know, saunas or the things that I've heard practitioners suggest in this idea of moving away from mainstream medicine. And we really have to be responsible about the kind of advice we provide and how it may lead people away from things that really could be helpful to them or from a better understanding of what is not working in their body and how they can bring balance to their lives.
1: Well, and, and, and there for me is, uh, again, uh, one of the reasons why I cling very tightly to my scope of practice and, you know, there's, there's been pushback, uh, towards our regulator for really tightening that very, very tight. Like our scope of practice is very, uh, Specific. specifically, you know, uh, described, um, you know, and for me, I see the value in that. It really has has actually, for me, made my job easier in a lot of ways, because it helps me to be really clear about what my parameters are, and really focus on my parameters, and not be so spread out all over the place that I'm doing some things not as well as maybe one should do if they're offering that as a, as a, part of the care that you're providing. So, um, and I've often been described as a regulator-friendly RMT, and I am because I do see the value in that as a practitioner in terms of patient safety um, and ethical care.
0: Absolutely. In terms of ethical care, I feel like you guys, um, well, Justin Trudeau, just um, on a much shorter timeline than Joe Biden said that certain... Um, demographics of Canada have to be vaccinated. And there is obviously pushback. And there's a push pull because there are people within healthcare who absolutely philosophically believe in and support a vaccination mandate, but they are challenged by the reality, which is that healthcare providers are choosing to get out of healthcare because they don't want to be vaccinated. And we're already stretched in providing care for the people who need care. And we want to limit the number of people who are going to need care by vaccinating the people who provide that care. But if we say you have to be vaccinated, or you can't do this work, then we stretch an already stretched workforce. And it's, it is a hard place to be. Uh, And, you know, as, as we look at hospital capacity, certainly in the United States, you know, I think the assumption that people make is that, well, if I get sick, I'll just go to the hospital. Well, you (coughs) hope that you can go to the hospital, but it might actually be that the hospital is full and can't take you. And so, you know, by not getting vaccinated, you are adding to the potential long-term burden. In addition to um, one of the differences between Canada and the States is the way that your healthcare is provided. And one of the articles I read talked about in Canada, there is an increasing backlog of scheduled surgeries for interventions that would really improve quality of life for people living with chronic illness, or even, you know, hip replacements and knee replacements. And, you and know, cancer that- care. Exactly. And, and cancer care. Yeah. And, and the, so, you know, as we continue to drag this out, by not becoming vaccinated, um, that we... <laughs> we are going to start to see these other long-term effects of people living with chronic and serious illness who haven't been able to get the kind of care that they need. And, you know, understanding this broader picture of, it makes sense to my science loving mind that if you are in a healthcare setting for work, you should have to be vaccinated. And I come up against the same thing that you're talking about in terms of freedom and ethics and what can we require? And then we also have the very real factor of if people leave the profession because they don't want to be told what to do, then where does that leave us? And it leaves us with sick people who don't have anyone to care for them.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that, that is my concern. I think I believe it's the end of October that that goes into effect, that everybody, you know, uh, institutional-wise, it, it doesn't apply to RMTs uh, here but it doesn't apply to healthcare providers working in institutions. So hospital, long-term care homes, uh, these types of facilities. And if they're going to put that into place, do they have a contingency plan to how to fill those gaps? You know, we we've, we've, we're looking at areas that are, like you say, are already stretched to the maximum. We know that long-term care homes notoriously are understaffed in the best of times. You know, and now Absolutely. we're taking taking the stance where, well, if at the end of the month, if you are not vaccinated, you are, uh, you know, suspended without pay until you vaccinate. How many of those people are we going to lose without anybody to fill that position? That's my concern. That you yeah. take that hard line, you better be prepared to fill those gaps. And I don't know if there is a plan in place. To yeah. feel the you know, we, yeah. I, I see it here in our own community, you know, we, we reached our capacity very quickly after that super spurter event, very fast, within a week or two, we were at capacity at our local hospital. So that meant people had to be uh, moved into larger communities, either two and a yeah. half hours west of us or four hours east of us or flown down to Vancouver or Victoria so not only are they in critical care in hospital with the battle of their life on their hands, they're many, 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 many thousands of miles away from family who probably couldn't go in and see them anyway because they are in a COVID unit. But just that that additional stress of being so far from home going through Absolutely go through that. Yeah. So we're 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 seeing that here and we're and we are losing critical staff at our local hospital. Well, wow. I already know of of one nurse in one of our specialty units who is leaving because they they are choosing not to vaccinate um, in yeah. in a specialty unit that was already understaffed.
0: Well, and I think the financial impacts of the of the pandemic more broadly are making it impossible to have the conversation that we should have been having before the pandemic, which is that we don't have a nursing shortage. We have a shortage of willingness to pay nurses and other skilled nursing aides what they're worth. And so, correct, people don't want to risk their lives and be in a place that is clearly riddled with burnout and lack of support in this environment for the money that hospitals and facilities are willing to pay them. And now, because the pandemic continues to stretch on, hospitals and facilities are legitimately strapped for money. And the idea that you would pay more, knowing that you're going to be swamped with people who maybe don't have insurance, don't have a way to pay for the care that you're providing for them. Um, I was reading in the um, the healthsystemtracker.org is one of the um, places where you can kind of see how hospitals are doing across the U.S. And um, they estimated that 287,000, quote, preventable hospitalizations have taken place in the States since June. Um, And those are people who were not vaccinated, who were being treated for COVID. And each of those hospitalizations averages, without a ventilator, about $20,000 in terms of resources and human resources and equipment and care. And that is money that we could be paying to medical staff, and that is further stretching the resources. And so when we look at the broader impact of what I know is not a small choice for people to become vaccinated, but if we could, if we could model out how much money would be saved by people becoming vaccinated, you know, I don't know what the compelling data point is or heart point for people that will help them move to a place where they can understand that actually this vaccine has been in the works for, I mean, 50 years really, but at least the last 10, it actually was not a fly-by-night intervention. And when you look at the statistics, even about like two to five people out of every million that get vaccinated have an anaphylactic response, two to five people out of a million. (laughs) Like when you look at the, um, Thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome, that TTS that they talk about, very low, very lower numbers than other. I mean, there are more adverse events from people taking Tylenol than there are <laughs> from getting this vaccine. But somehow there's this, there's this mind virus that is preventing people from looking at this with the same type of lens that they look at other types of interventions.
1: Well, absolutely there there is no pharmacological pharma or surgical intervention that doesn't come with risks.
0: Exactly. And, and, like,
1: and like you say taking a Tylenol for some people is extremely risky. Yeah. You know, with really extreme potential, you know, side effects. Um, so yeah there's there's just so much incongruency I think is what I'm seeing and that was kind of my thing about the Ivermectin take this yeah. but don't don't take that there was it, it's incongruent. Um, And that's what happens when people are enmeshed in their trauma and fear is, you know, and this is basic fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system, you know, functioning physiology is when we we are in distress or fear mode, uh, that level of our brain that services logical thinking cannot be accessed. Absolutely. So we have a completely distressed, large number of population who can't even access that logical part of their thinking, Yeah, uh, which is also being fueled by the disinformation that's out there. Um, So it's...
0: Yeah, it's a tangle. Well, and we've done something in America... That I don't know that you all will do in Canada, but uh, just recently, the American Boards of Pediatrics, Family Medicine, and Internal Medicine have um, come out and said that physicians who are reported as providing mis or disinformation about vaccination can lose their board certification. That, you know, really going back to the code of ethics of being board certified and that your responsibility is to care for public health and to provide factual information. And um, they have received reports. And and this is what made them come together and write this joint statement that said, you know, as a healthcare provider, you are ethically bound to provide factual information to your patients about risk factors and benefits. And um, you need to be adhering to that strictly, particularly in the middle of a very clear public health crisis. And you know, there is again, sort of pushback about, well, I should be able to say what I believe. And it's like, well, not in your role as a doctor, your job is to share the facts with your patients. And you know, was where the, the it gets muddy when we talk about sort of freedom of speech and all of these things that um, we, we like to pride ourselves on. But again, it's not binary. <laughs> it's a very nuanced situation.
1: No, and that takes us, you know, this is one of the conversations that I've I've had with my dear friend Pam Fitch, who I consider to be the queen of professionalism and ethics in massage Indeed. therapy here in Canada. You know, and it is our ethical duty. Uh, to be mindful of our own personal beliefs and how to separate that from professional conduct and professional care and, you know, sticking to the facts and sticking to our scope of practice as part of that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And and we are seeing somewhat of a similar thing here in Canada. I am aware of one physician here in BC who was, who had been spreading a lot of misinformation who, uh, you know, there was a, a, a disciplinary Um, stance taken, I don't know that this person will actually lose their license to practice. But I do know that the college of physicians and surgeons um, have um, slapped a hand, let's say, I don't know how far that's going to go. Though.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And I I think I mean, this is the problem. It's almost like, you know, when you're when you're raising kids, like punishment isn't exactly the way to get people to do what you want them to do. Um, But convincing them that it's advantageous, for them to um, do a thing that, if you if you are on the pro vaccine side, it, it feels logical. It feels easy. It feels simple, and it, and I think that that really prevents us from being able to move into the head space and the heart space of people who are unwilling. You know, I do think there is a contingent of people who like legit haven't gotten around to it or just haven't thought about it, which is also mind blowing. But the people who really are resistant it is very hard for me to understand that. And, you know, we're talking so much now in healthcare about the importance of understanding our biases, but we're talking about in terms of race. And it's just as important in this conversation and noticing what information you're willing to allow in and how resistant we are to let in information that, that shifts our worldview or just pulls what we believe into question. And, that's, you know, we got to roll into the nuance again and really become comfortable with, oh, yeah, I, I don't want to believe that, but the evidence is really pointing in this direction. And so what does that mean about who I am and, and what my world looks like? And am I willing to change that?
1: Yes. And it takes us right into that, you know, uh, I, what I think is a very important piece of being a professional, a healthcare professional, and that is the capacity for self-reflection, and to, yeah. to, to really question, you know, our own um, motives around again, our own biases, our you know, our own personal belief system. Yes, as a human being, I have every right to have my own personal belief system, um, but I need to be very clear about where that potentially uh, could have an adverse impact on the person that comes into my practice to receive care, and Absolutely. how to and how to check that so that I can be the consummate professional when that person comes into my space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, that's really kind of the takeaway from our conversation today and also just what I'm seeing unfold and really not even unfold, just continue to tangle and tighten is that we each have a responsibility certainly as healthcare providers, but even as citizens to uh, notice Our biases and and really understand how much influence we can actually have. I think it's hard when we feel so powerless and we feel so tiny, but, um, you know, one little seed can take root and really lead multiple people and many people, whole communities astray. And um, it's hard to come back from that. And it's things that we maybe don't even notice that we're saying.
1: Well, and and that's such an important point, Cal. And again, this is another area of conversation uh, that Pam and I often dive into is the whole professional identity thing. You know, so as massage therapists, and and I'm just going to use a generalized term here. So um, sometimes we don't often take ourselves seriously enough as a healthcare professional healthcare provider. Yeah. And and we don't maybe always appreciate what kind of power we do carry
0: in,
1: in the treatment space. And I think that is—I think that's one of the areas of big deficit in our profession, and that yeah. we don't—we don't really get much training in professional identity as part of our our, our process. Um, that's again another area that I would like to see change, uh, that yeah. we incorporate some kind of professional identity training into our entry to practice as well as part of our ongoing continued evolution as a massage therapist, because I think, again, it's a maturity piece for us as a profession. Um, The upside of perhaps COVID has been is that it has really shone a bright light on some, you know, as a society, um, as healthcare providers, where, where the big problems have been. Yeah. And have just been sloughed under the rug or pushed to the side, and now we've hit this critical juncture where you know what, we we, we got to make some changes, folks. Yeah, yeah. And and equity is definitely one of those places where you know what we need to really make yeah. some changes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think it hurts now? Just keep ignoring it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that snowball um, just gets bigger and bigger. It does indeed. Well, friend, any uh, any parting bits of wisdom? Be kind. Yeah, pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. Be kind. You know,
1: let's we we we've got to take a perspective of taking
0: care of each other. Absolutely, take care of each other. Thanks for being with us, everybody. This has been another epito- episode of interdisciplinary. We'll look forward to uh, seeing you, sort of virtually, soon. And uh, yeah, take care of each other. Keep up the good work. Get out there on the social media. And if you actually believe this is a good show that other people should listen to, um, go ahead and spread the word. If you don't, don't do that. Be true to yourself. Be evidence-based.
1: And just right. care. And if you're not sure how to do that.
0: That's right. <laughs> we um, At this point, when this episode comes out, our Just Care conference will have happened. But you can still get access to the presentations if you're real nice to the folks at Healwell. So reach out and uh, come check it out. Thanks, guys.
1: Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at org. That's podcast at healwell. Dot .org thanks for listening